Good to be with you, TC3, and those that are new in the place. My name is Gordon. I serve as middle management here at TC3. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the service. Uh, we're, in the, we're in the end of a series called Do These Three Things. I love the practical stuff that Jesus brings in the text of, of Scripture because um, they're doable things. And I'm a box checker, and I like to know specific things that I can do, and then I like to accomplish those tasks. And the Jewish people in particular, back in the time of Jesus, were struggling because there were so many laws and regulations about, you know, how to connect with God. And Jesus, he, he just kind of simplifies it. He's like, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, do those two things. Like, get those two things right. And then he responds to this question in Matthew 24 about, you know, what's it going to be like at the end of the, of the earth? You know, when the world comes to an end, what's it going to be like? And he uses these three parables to really teach us these three specific things that we can do. The first one we talked about, it was all about being ready. And the second one was, about all about, was all about being responsible, like with what God has given us, manage that uh, correctly in a God-honoring way. And this one today that we're going to be talking about, this third thing for us to, to get right um, is to be responsive, to, to be responsive to the needs that are around us. And many of us in this place, we actually are responsive. Some of us, um, we, we kind of make excuses. We, we maybe have broken wing syndrome to where something has happened to us in life. And so then that puts us in a space and place to where we can't really be a, a help to anybody else because all this trauma and tragedy has happened in our world. And so we're kind of over here on that issue. And what I would say to you is when people have gone through trauma and tragedy and they're still standing and they're still serving, what an inspiration that person is. I've got a very good friend of mine who, uh, who at eight years old, he saw his mother um, and father get into this massive argument. The father was going after his brother. The mother thought that the father was going to kill the brother. He was going at him with such fury and anger and she actually shot him. And at that age, he saw his mother kill his father um, to try to protect her son. And that would, that would definitely be a reason to, to mar and scar somebody, to kind of put them on the sidelines, but it hasn't. He'd grow up and, and raise a family, and one of his daughters would be a victim of sexual assault. You know what he's doing today? Even though he has reasons to be on the sidelines, he's standing up on a stage in Missouri, and he's presenting the gospel that people, that people need to hear. And it's powerful. Like when I heard his story, I was like inspired by his faith. And he's just responding to the needs that are in his community. And he uses his brokenness and his pain as a platform to minister to people. And today is all about being responsive, being quick to respond. And so I want to begin with a question. The question is a simple one. If we stood before Jesus today, would there be any practical or compelling evidence uh, that would confirm our commitment of faith to him? Would there be any practical or compelling evidence that would validate that we are a follower of Jesus Christ, a little bit different than the good guy that's outside of the walls of the church? Like, would there be a validation there? Are there things that we have done in the past or are currently doing now for Jesus 
Are those things something that Jesus, knowing our capacity, that's a big one, that Jesus, knowing our capacity, would be proud of us, that would look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, I gave you a lot to manage, and you managed it really well. And you were active to the very end. And I think about this issue of being responsive, and some of us in this place, we really have got this down. Like, Jesus is, is proud of you. Like, I, I look at you and I, I want to applaud because of the things that you are involved with. Some of you, you, you come to church, and then you leave here and you immediately go to one of the jails or one of the prisons. I think that's absolutely incredible, and that's faith in action. Some of you, you care about the poor and suffering, and you serve in soup kitchens. Some of you, you foster kids. There's a specific family in our church that's fostered over 15 kids, and they use their medical expertise to take on kids that are a challenge because they're, they're the people that can minister and, and bring support to kids that are medically challenged. I, I think that's, that's the kind of stuff that Jesus would have us do. That's, that's faith in action and something to be proud of. Some of you, and this happened in my world, some of you you're parenting your kids' friends, right? Because your kids bring friends in and their family situations are a bit of a wreck and you find yourself parenting those kids that God has brought into your house. That's faith in action. Some of you, you volunteer in the nonprofit sector and some of you, you write notes of encouragement or you send out texts of encouragement or you're a, you're a prayer warrior. That's faith in action. Some of you, you coach. You mentor kids through sports. Some of you, you specifically chose the vocation that you're in because you knew that it would be an opportunity to help and serve people. Some of you, you have spare time on your hands, and when this place is all shut down, you're here cleaning classrooms. Some of you, you noticed on vacation when you took your boat to the Bahamas that the people of that island didn't have Bibles, and you started smuggling Bibles into the Bahamas. It's not illegal. I'm just using the terms, being, just being a little dramatic there. But you brought Bibles into the Bahamas. Some of you, you started nonprofits because you saw that there was a need. And, and some of you, and this is a really cool thing that's happening right now, you, you serve in elementary schools uh, around our city. Andy Brown, I don't know if you know this, Andy Brown's in five different elementary schools presenting kids' clubs. Like, that's it's worth, a, worth it. And, and it's going so well that he has too many kids to manage. And so we need some, some of us need to step up and, and help Pastor Andy with that. God's blessing that. And I tell people about that in different, you know, regions of the, of the country. And they're like, I can't believe that that's happening. And it is here. Some of you, you come to this property and I'll look out the window sometime and you'll be, you'll be just serving and making this place a better place. There's a guy, and I love this one. There's a guy in this church that's a, a successful business person, and Pastor Miles drew him into the vortex of student ministry and took him to one of his morning breakfasts that he has with the athletes at Jensen Beach. Pastor Miles was using your money, God's money, um, and paying for the breakfast for these athletes. And, and so they were coming, and he was you know, sharing Christ with them and encouraging them in the Lord. This guy came along, and then after a few weeks, Pastor Miles is like, okay, I'm out, so I, got, I can go do something else. Now this is yours. And now uh, he didn't realize it, but we suckered him into paying for all those kids' breakfasts on Friday. It's genius. It's pure genius. But he's making a difference. 
And there's a guy who opens up his shop, his business, for a Monday night Bible study for guys because it's something that he can do for the Lord and it's faith in action. And I think what the church can be guilty of is telling others that we're followers of Christ instead of showing others that we're followers of Christ by our actions. It's seen in how we spend our time. It's seen in how we talk. It's seen in our bank accounts, how we consistently give or if we don't. It's seen through our service. We ask the question of ourselves, where do we serve people? And James 2, great book on faith in action, gives us this heart check. He says, like, what, is, what good is it if someone claims to have faith, but they have no deeds? And then he poses another question. He's like, can such a faith even save somebody? Like, faith without deeds, can that, is that saving faith? And then he says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes, daily food, and if one of you say, says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? He's saying Christians should be responders. Followers of Jesus should be responders. Jesus stopped frequently. And he says these words that are, that are hard to hear for some of us. He said, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action or works, is dead. It says it clearly in James 2.17, faith not accompanied by action is dead. Sometimes we make it hard to serve other people. Like we find a reason not to step out of our comfort zone and engage the needs that are around us because we think that it might be too messy. And what I will tell you is serving people is messy. Jesus served messy people like you, like me. Got involved in a lot of dramas like yours, like mine. Is calling us to do the same. We get out of our way by simply doing the things that Jesus would do given the situation that we're looking at. Faith in action is living with this sense of awareness that we are God's chosen instrument to make a difference in the scenario that we see being played out in front of us on a daily basis. The scenarios you see will be different than the scenarios that the person sitting next to you will see. They're different than the scenarios that I will see. But faith in action is being responsive to the needs that we See, faith in action doesn't uh, make excuses because the problem is so big. Sometimes, like we think the problem is so big, we don't even engage it. Faith in action says, I'm going to do for one person what I wish I could do for every single person in the world. There should always be what I call a starfish in our life. It's that proverbial story of the kid who's on the beaches and the starfish have washed up and he's throwing, one, throwing them back one at a time and the guy's like, you'll never make a difference. And he says, I made a difference for that one. There should always be a starfish in our life. I was moved by the, this question that um, Hal Donaldson asked and it, it, I, I heard him speak it at a convoy event. He was like, what's the next kind thing? Because we make it so hard. He's like, you know, some of us are trying to figure out how to put faith in action. He's just like, hey, do the next kind thing. Well, that came from his own journey. He was sitting with Mother Teresa and he was interviewing her and she stopped and she flipped the script on him and she's like, listen, I want to ask you a question, young man. She said, what are you doing to help the needs of the poor and the suffering? And he decided that it wouldn't be a good idea to lie to Mother Teresa. He answered the question honestly, and he said, honestly, very little. 
And as he flew back from India, his heart was wrecked. He felt compelled that he had to do something, and so he got a truck, got $300 together, and he bought some groceries. Oftentimes we think, you know, we don't have enough to make a difference. 300 bucks, that's in modern vernacular, that's 50 Starbucks lattes. Just one a week. He sacrificed 300 bucks and he started handing out food, and now Convoy of Hope is number 48 on the charity list some 30 years later. To put, it, to put it in perspective, there are 1.5 million charities, and God's done that in 30 years. And I, I think about the things that are happening in the world, and we look at Ukraine, and I go, well, interestingly enough, because of that story of tragedy that kind of started this whole thing in motion uh, with even the death of his parents, it's like, when Ukraine happened, Convoy was there while it was happening. They're still there right now. When I think about this storm, Ian, that's coming, it's like Convoy's prepared to respond to that right now. Because when there was a hurricane bearing down on us, coming our direction, I got a call from them. They said, hey, we got two semi-trucks heading your way. They're going to base camp in your parking lot, and they're going to hand out tarps and supplies to people that are in need, and they're going to take care of them. And I was like, that is absolutely awesome. But here's the thing you need to know. We give to Convoy. And I was in El Salvador just a couple of weeks ago, and I was watching them in action. And I went to uh, their center where they respond to disaster relief, and there were stacks and stacks of food that, especially during COVID, they were, they were the epicenter of handing out supplies and needs and, and food for people that were in need. And one of the ladies, I was talking to her, and she said, you know, when, when, when um, coronavirus hit, she said, we took care of 1,500 pastors for three months, gave them food and supplies, and along with the needs of the other people that came their direction. So it's like they have this massive reach, and I thought, you know, TC3 gives to Convoy, like we were there. And I went to one of their kids' feeding programs. You know how we see all these feeding programs on, on TV and stuff, and I went to Convoy's feeding program, and I actually participated in a day of that. And I kept thinking, we don't realize it, but every day we're here. We're helping to feed a half million people. You, when you gave up a day of your salary, remember that last year? You're there. I saw their economic empowerment where there was a woman who had one child. She's been a seamstress for 13 years. She gets fired from her job because she got pregnant. They help her get a sewing machine, and now she's trying to buy a second sewing machine so her husband can quit his job so that they can keep up with all the work that they have, and now they're breaking the cycle of poverty because of economic empowerment. That's cool stuff. But you're a part of that, and you don't even probably realize that. I saw the agriculture initiative that they have to where there was, I was at one community garden that services 13 families. They come here and they learn how to garden. They reap the produce literally from that garden. They take it back to their own houses. They have their own gardens there. They're able to feed their own families and they're able to even sell some of the produce and make money as a result. That's faith in action. I saw humanitarian efforts, and this is where it's rare because a lot of us give to needs but I saw humanitarian efforts partnered with sharing the gospel because what they were doing was tied to the local church. That's faith in action. Concerned about the next generation? You give to this church, 
you're part of Andy Brown going into the elementary schools to five different campus clubs. You give to this church, you're part of Pastor Miles' ministry because if you spend time with him outside the walls of this church, you're gonna find out that if you go to any restaurant, there's gonna be three or four kids that stop by that he's high-fiving and hugging and he's the pastor of teenagers in this community. It's a super cool thing and we are a part of that. In the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25, it's very, very practical. It's a story of comparison. Jesus uses these parables to paint a picture of a spiritual truth. Jesus uses this familiar analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. And first of all, we need to know that Jesus is the good shepherd. It talks about that in John chapter 10. Uh, where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, he says, and they know me. So he knows uh, his flock, his flock knows his voice. And then he said that I would be willing to sacrifice my life for the sheep, as he proved, and he did. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know, who, I know the people that are in my flock, and the people that are in my flock also know me, And he tells this parable in the context of him returning. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand. That's the hand of blessing. You see that in the text of Scripture. And the goats at his left. He's saying, listen, there is a judgment coming. Jesus will separate people just like a shepherd separates sheep. On the right are the, are, the, are the sheep. On the left are the goats. The sheep are the saved. The goats are the unsaved. The sheep are the blessed. And the goats are the condemned. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. And then he tells them the reason why. And this is faith in action. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your house. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And when you think about this, dealing with the needs or caring for the needs of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the person in prison, all of these things are things that we can do in a practical sense. These are all random acts of kindness that we can be a part of. And the righteous, they don't even understand why Jesus is highlighting them. They're like, when? When did you see us in action. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when? When did you ever see us hungry? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you some clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison? They don't understand because righteous people respond with righteous acts or acts of righteousness. It just flows from them because they're connected to Jesus and they see somebody who's hungry and they naturally want to feed them. They see somebody who's thirsty and they naturally want to give them something to drink. They see somebody who needs clothes and they naturally want to give them clothes because that is what Jesus would do. 
And if we're not responding, if we're blind to the needs that are around us, then we need to take a good look inside. We need to take a good look inside because Jesus sees responsiveness as an indicator of relationship. Because responding to the needs of those who cannot help themselves is something we do not for Jesus. Get this point. We do this to Jesus. Because Jesus identifies himself with the needs of the poor and suffering. The king will say, I will tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to, not for, to me. Again, faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And then James kind of lays it out clearly back in James chapter 2. He said, someone will say, I have faith, which we've heard people say, I have faith. And James says, well, I have deeds. And then he goes further, he says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith or my faith by my deeds. You believe in one God. He's like, well, good. Even demons believe in that and shudder. And many people, they think, hey, I'm good because I have faith. I believe in God. Well, listen, James is saying, If you have faith, if you believe in God, if you're connected in a relationship with him, then there will be deeds that follow. James 2.20 says, you foolish person, do you you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then he starts talking about the story of Abraham. He said Abraham was considered righteous because of what he did by putting his son Isaac on the altar. It's actually what he did that was an act of faith. His faith, it says, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete. James really lays it out. He said his faith was made complete by what he did. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Then he talks about the story of Rahab, the prostitute, who who gave the spies in the city of Jericho refuge and told them to go the other direction. And then he says, as the body is dead without the spirit, so faith without deeds is dead. And he's saying, listen, there are two types of people here. And it's a compare and contrast. There are the sheep and there are the goats. There are the saved and there are the lost. The sheep are responsive and they get rewarded. And the goats are unresponsive and they get Condemned, and they get condemned because they had the opportunity to serve God by serving his people and loving on his people, and they don't. And this is where it gets chilling. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Speaking of hell, he said, for I was angry or I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you never came and visited me. And they too, like the righteous, won't understand because they were just living life as they would normally live their life. Lord, When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? He said, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, you are refusing 
to help me. And what he's saying is you had the opportunity to respond and you refused. And Jesus ends the discourse with this sharp contrast. And they, those on the left, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Because the sheep, they cared for and they loved people. They gave food. They gave water. They gave clothing. They helped those that were in need. How many of you remember back in the year 1999, the 1900s? <laughs> remember those years? 1999 was a pivotal year for us. Some of us were terrified because when the year 2000 hit, like we thought every computer was going to go haywire, airplanes were, airplanes were going to fall from the sky, the stock market was going to crash, right? And there was this big movement to stockpile supplies, right? You remember Y2K? Am I the only one that remembers that? Like Carol and I are having this conversation. She's like, we got to get, you know, filters to have clean water. We got to get rice. We got to get beans. We got to get supplies and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm like Why? Like, well, we got to have supplies. I'm like, listen, if Steve, my neighbor, comes and bangs on my door, I'm going to say, hey, you want some rice and beans? They're back in the corner. I'm like, that's like, if you need access to my pantry and you're my neighbor or my friend, you're going to get it. And I'm like, if, you, if we approach Y2K like, like that, then we're going to have to feed the entire neighborhood and then the city. So like, why don't we just like rise and fall with the city instead of try to pay for them if it all goes south? And my mindset is, is that Christian people do Christian things. If my neighbor is hungry, all he has to do is knock on the door. My pantry is open. Christian people do Christian things. Sheep are givers by nature. Goats, they're takers. Sheep care for and love people. Goats care for themselves. They show no concern for others. And Jesus is saying, listen, our responsiveness, it it matters. And when you read this passage of Scripture, it can appear that this passage validates or supports salvation through good works. I just want to clarify, it does not. This is not making a case of salvation by good works. The Scripture is very, very clear about this issue. Good works won't save us. If they could, I say this all the time, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. If there was another way, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. Good works are a result of salvation. The Bible consistently says this, that salvation is found in faith through the grace of God and not by works. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we by nature were deserving wrath, but because God is uh, great in mercy or rich in mercy. He made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions or our sins. And then he says, in Ephesians, he says, it's by grace that you and I are saved. There's no balancing of the scales. It goes further in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And this is not from yourselves. He wants it Everyone to know, salvation is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. With that, Paul talks about the purpose 
of our salvation. He says this in 10, he's like, listen, you are God's handiwork. You and I are God's specific piece of artwork. He said, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance before you, even, you were even born to do. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The message of the parable is, is that God's people will naturally do good things. And what I'm saying is I think the text of scripture is clear that we should start a compassion revolution in our community. We start here with the people that are around us. We start now with the needs that we see. These three things are things that we can get right. We can be ready, we can be responsible, and we can be responsive to the needs that are around us. God bless you.